This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, Sunday Recap Edition, here with, as always, producer Mal Pal. Mallory, how you doing? Pretty good. Still trying to recover from a crazy week that just happened. Still yeah. not sure how to wrap my brain around it, but Feel, we're about feels to discuss like, it. <laughs> feels like one of those, one of those hangover uh, weekends, definitely. It does. Uh, and, You're still trying and, to recover. <laughs> yeah. And back in from Lubbock, dro- driving. Mike Craven. Mike, how are you doing, man? You made that trek. I'm doing pretty good. I would not advise Lubbock to Dallas in the middle of the night. It is not, <laughs> not the easiest drive to stay awake from. I, I got a, I got a Dr. Pepper at about 11 p.m. and that got me through. But other than that, it was a, it was a great trip out there. Ooh, yeah, that, that sounds like a lot of pitch black road, uh, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> until you get to, what, Fort Worth, probably? Oh, yeah. I mean, if we count Abilene as something, there's nothing sure. between Lubbock and, and Fort Worth other than Abilene. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of stars at night, you know, big and bright type situation out there. Like it's, that's the, that is the nice part. It's kind of like a planetarium when you look out your window, if, if it's, if it's clear. But other than that's that, right. not much to do or see. Well, we're glad you made it home safe. Uh, it's already recorded this a little bit later just because we wanted you to give some some chance to recharge a little bit before you had to, <laughs> had to ask you how everything went in Lubbock. Uh, so that was kind of the plan was talking about, you know, tech and it just right off the top. Uh, and then Baylor upset Oklahoma. And I was like, OK, well, we're definitely talking about that off the top. Right. Like that. That's that's the thing that we're talking about. Well, I have a new rule for the show. Anytime you lose to Kansas we're talking about that off the top because there are things going wrong uh that that need addressing and so that's what we're doing uh kansas 57 texas 56 in overtime i i mean we can talk about the game we can talk about how lance leipold just basically ran a version of the single wing and just decided he was gonna like run the ball down texas's throat and they couldn't stop him um jalen daniels did not play like a guy who was their second or third choice quarterback coming into the year. We could talk about all of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. But the, the thing that really stood out to me was that despite being in position to win this game late, I should say, Texas was chasing this game the whole time. Started off 14, uh, nothing. Then it got to 35, 14 after a pick six from Hudson card. They were basically down two scores most of this game. And I mean, we can get into a bigger discussion about where this program is, but I think when you lose to Kansas multiple times in the span of what, five-ish years, right? Six, I'm trying to think five, six years. Six. Some, um, you're in a spot where you kind of need to do some soul searching. Mm-hmm. And how do you put up nearly almost 600 yards of total offense and still lose to this Kansas team. That's yeah. to me unacceptable. Yeah. At home on a four game losing streak. Right. I mean, you can't, you can't say like, Oh, Texas slept walked into this football mm-hmm. game or they look past it or any of those normal excuses you would give. And then also it wasn't like, like Oklahoma, Kansas was a close game. Right. But it was right. close in a way where like Oklahoma's offense wasn't on. And so it just stayed close in that way until they figured it out and won that football game. This was a shootout with Kansas. Yeah. You know, and that's, the, you know, we've talked a lot about the offense, about, you know, how good Bijan Robinson is, that Xavier Worthy is excellent. Who should be the quarterback, Hudson Card or Casey Thompson? How bad that offensive line is. But this Texas defense is awful. And they were, they yeah. were bad last night. And they don't play complimentary football. And Steve Star- uh, Sarkeesian's talked about that all uh, year long. And we saw like a good microcosm of it at the end of that game. They catch up, right? They win. Mm-hmm. 
and they're about to go tie it. Casey Thompson throws an, an interception, and it's like, okay, game over. Well, they get a stop real quick because they have the timeout. They force a punt. They get a good special teams play to set up uh, a good field position. They score a touchdown to tie it. Then they score a touchdown again in overtime to take the lead. And it's like, oh, okay, maybe Texas will we'll win this game and it'll just be kind of like one of those scary stories that we tell our children as we grow up or whatever like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's an unsportsmanlike penalty that allows Kansas to start their drive at the 12 and a half yard line. Then there's an interception dropped. And then there's a two point possession uh, conversion that goes to a guy who's never caught a ball in his life. Right. Like right. they just don't know how to win. They just yeah. have no idea how to win a football game and they have no belief that they're going to win a football game. And if the university of Texas at home in prime time in November can't close out a game against Kansas, there's not much else to talk about. That's, that's a systematic problem that goes as deep as a root can inside that program right now. Right. I was going to say like, you know, we, we've talked about Sark being the guy, not being the guy, whatever. Like that, that's a discussion that will play itself out as, you know, as his tenure goes on. And I saw there are so many people who, after the game, was like, ah, oh, that def- fire the defensive coordinator. Pete Kwiatkowski is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, right? Like that is a fact. Look back at his tenure at Washington. Look back at his tenure going back to Boise State. Chris Peterson doesn't hold on to guys that aren't good coaches, Right. He coached, he coached, uh, I believe that that playoff team where they lost to Bama was hinged on that defense, right? We've seen Todd Orlando lose his career for Texas. We've seen, uh, 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 I'm trying to think of Charlie Strong's defensive coordinator. Um, I'm losing his, my, my memory right now. But we've seen good defensive coordinators come in. Chris Ash wasn't a bad defensive coordinator, right? Come in every year and it's like, oh, we got to fire this guy now. Right. Oh, he's not good. We got to let him go. And they've cut they've cut ties with co- coaches before. Right. Like, ah, it's the it's that coordinator. Time to get him out. OK, well, he's gone. Defense still isn't bad. Offensive line still doesn't block. Offense still doesn't click. Right. Whatever. Play calling. Right. Tom Herman. Oh, Tom Herman needs to take over the play calling or Tom Herman needs to trust somebody enough to call the plays that he can delegate. Like it's a systematic thing at this point. Right. You have and this this kind of. Uh, this is why I wanted to lead off with this because we would have eventually talked about something bigger than the game after, after involving this game. This is what Texas is right now. And I don't mean this is, Oh, this is a program that loses to Kansas. No, that's not, that's not what I mean. What I mean by that is they're a program that wants to be Bama. They're a program that wants to be Clemson. They want to be Notre Dame, Ohio state, those programs that are, you know, competing for playoffs, but they're closer to Wisconsin and Tennessee. They're closer to, they've won one double digit, uh, they've had one double digit uh, win season since Mac Brown left, right? The Sugar Bowl year. Every other year, hovering around six wins, seven wins, punching up to eight wins. So I'm looking at from when Charlie Strong took over six wins, five wins, five wins, seven wins, 10 wins once, Sugar Bowl, eight wins, seven wins, now down to four wins. This is kind of where they're at right now. And the way it looks worse, is that 10 years ago, you make a seismic move and basically hold the Big 12 for ransom because you want your ESPN deal, right? Because you're, you're a power money player and you want that uh, Longhorn network. And so Nebraska, Missouri, uh, Texas A&M, and Colorado say peace. We don't want anything to do with that. 10 years later, you're saying, okay, well, yeah, sure. The Big 12 gave us everything we wanted, but we want more. So we're going to team up with Oklahoma and, and ditch to the SEC sending off this domino effect across college football that puts programs like UTEP in weird situations, Rice, and, or I guess not Rice, Rice, UNT, and UTSA, of course, get elevated up to, to AAC. But like everybody else has to scramble. Conference USA scrambling has to pull up programs from the FCS that might not be ready yet. And 10 years down the line, we might be looking at some type of bubble bursting. And it was set off by this program that just lost to Kansas and another program that we're going to talk about, the loss to Baylor, and they're, you know, they're basically getting kicked out the door at the Big 12 now. And I don't know, like, for me, it's just really, this has been a, a kind of a thing coming to where Texas can't just keep hiring coaches, right? You can't just hire the Alabama OC. You can't just hire the new Houston head coach that's going to save your program. It's a systematic thing because coaches are changing and results aren't. 
I mean, Casey Thompson's had three different offensive coordinators. You know, there Tope Amade, offensive lineman who's been there for six years, has five different offensive line coaches. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just no continuity within that program. Imagine what the magazine looks like if we have four different editors over six years. All right. Right. <laughs> You know, you just, there's nothing in life you can do with that much inconsistency. Football is no different than that. You got 80 plus, 100 plus young men in there looking for guidance and it changes every year. Every coach is different. Every position mm -hmm. coach is different. Every coordinator is different. Every head coach is different. And so we don't get a chance to figure it out. You don't, you don't get a chance to kind of see if it is the guy or not. Um, and so right now, I, I think it's just a lot of guys who are they don't know what to do. They don't know how to do that final step. They don't know how to close the book. They're looking around and waiting for other people to do it, and there's nobody else to do it. And mm -hmm. so uh, it's just it's a program that's struggling right now. I mean, they they like Mallory uh, said, they had so many yards. I mean, Casey Thompson threw for six touchdowns. Right. They still lost to Kansas. And you lose. Yeah. And you lose to Kansas, yeah. And so it can't all be these coaches, right? Like, it can't. It can't just like these guys don't forget to coach when they come to Austin. And right. so, um, you know, it's, it's one of those tough things where, you know, you look at Baylor and, and Aranda did make a move on the offensive side of the ball and it worked out. So, you, you know, you look at Sark and you're like, okay, do you pull the plug early on Kwiatkowski in the defense and go in a different direction? Do you stick it out? There's not a, there's not an obvious answer there. And there's just a lot of stuff they got to worry about in the offseason. And there could be a mass exodus off this roster. Yeah. And I think uh, going back to going back to that point, two years ago, they were a Sam Ellinger heroic away from losing to Kansas as well. Like 50 to 48, I think was that final score. And so it's like, like, again, this isn't just a Sark thing. This isn't just a Herman thing, right? Uh, Strong, of course, lost to Kansas. So like, yeah, I don't know. There's they're such a quick trigger figure in Austin when it comes to, and I know where it comes from, right? It doesn't come from Del Conte. It comes from people that Del Conte answers to. It comes from people that that administration answers to people with the money want to be Alabama. The problem is it doesn't seem like, cause A&M was in the same boat, right? They, they haven't had, they haven't had a, the Johnny Manziel was kind of an outlier. Everything else is kind of middling for the most part of their era. They went out and just said, yeah, we're just going to give Jimbo Fisher $75 million. Right. They just said, make us something that caliber, Texas, isn't hasn't been i don't know i'm not saying go out and get i mean they tried with urban meyer it didn't work out obviously but like they're they haven't had that that level of like uh financial uh uh kind of uh pull i know they can't they can do that but like they haven't just said no we're just gonna steal this coach to make us this great they've been like oh we're gonna get the bama coordinator we're gonna go get the good houston head coach who wants to come back we're gonna get the louisville head coach you know it's like I don't know if you want to be that pony up like that's that's kind of what I'm saying like you have the cash to do that mm -hmm. and you have the cachet to do that you're Texas and so I don't know I I just hate that we're gonna look at this and then people are gonna be like oh man so they're gonna miss a bowl Sark's not the guy and it's like what did you I don't know what do you what, what do you want from him <laughs> and they've had guys tell them no true yeah that's like, true and it's like why why would like if you have the money and you have the program why are people telling you no that should be another thing because it's an impossible job, or at least it feels like it, you know, yeah. like even during the Matt Brown years, there, it was always kind of tenuous and it was always like a hot and cold relationship. You know, Greg Davis was always under fire and, yep. you know, Matt Brown would get, uh, get grief for like clapping on the sidelines. He was called Mr. February and stuff. Right. And this is a guy who's winning 10 games a year and won a national championship and it still wasn't enough. And so I, I think you see a lot of coaches that go, Look, the money's not all that different anymore. What's the difference between $5 million and $4 million, really? You know, yeah. you're a football coach. You know, that's, those are numbers that you never thought you'd be getting anyway. And so uh, I, I think you've seen a lot of guys, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, where behind the scenes, Texas has whipped up that money and has mm -hmm. gone to those guys have been like, hey, we'll give you anything and everything that you want here. And you've seen those coaches go, no, I'm good. There's, there, I have less headaches over here. And until yeah. they figure out, what goes on behind the scenes it's hard to imagine um, them winning a football game unless they find the perfect coach like matt brown was who was as much politician as coach who knew how to work those rooms in a way that a president or governor can to keep those egos in check yep and until then it probably will just continue to be a, a carousel so um moving on let's go to our second headline game uh and let's get to the good ones now Let's go with Baylor. Baylor, 27, Oklahoma, 14. 
I we me, we kind of hinted all year that this game was kind of the game I was looking forward to because I thought Baylor had the perfect style to go at Oklahoma. They had a running game that was absolutely punishing against the run defense. That's not very good. They had a defense that, while I didn't expect this, I knew their defense could frustrate you know, uh, what, what still is a true freshman quarterback in Caleb Williams. I didn't expect this at all. I didn't expect them to run for nearly 300 yards on the ground. Um, I didn't expect for them to uh, Gary Bahannon to, again, he threw a pick and like he, he didn't throw for many yards, but I, I would say he played close to a perfect game just based off what they asked him to do. And defensively, Jalen Petrie's all over that field. They basically bench Caleb Williams, which I thought was a pretty rash decision on, on uh, Lincoln Riley's part, but they basically make him force his hand to do something because they're just shutting down this offense. And they come away with one of the biggest wins in program history. And one of the most, in, to me, one of the most dominating defensive uh, performances I've seen in a long time. Yeah. I mean, we kind of go back and forth on if we consider Jalen Petrie a linebacker, right. But if we group right. him there with Dylan Doyle and Terrell Bernard, those three are incredible. Like those three are everywhere on the field and it's, it's art to watch, you know, they combined for 19 tackles yesterday. I mean, they, yeah. they did, they did everything for that defense and they allow, uh, so they allow everyone else to just do their job. Like they mm-hmm. just clean up just anything that happens in between defensive line and secondary. They're outstanding. Abram Smith is just a dude. You know, you yeah. can tell by the end of the game, Oklahoma, they wanted to tackle him less and less as yes. that game uh, went on. And that's taken someone's will. And what impresses me most about Baylor is for a lot of programs, we just talked about a program that this would be true for. That loss to TCU last week would have been wrap-up shop. That's the end of the season. Kind of mm-hmm. go – to a bowl game and you figure it out next year or whatever. Instead, they respond by kicking OU's behind. I mean, that they didn't win that football game. They beat Oklahoma up. And yeah. uh, Dave Aranda deserves a ton of credit for what he's done from going seven to a good year. The TCU loss happens, and instead of just everyone throwing in the towel, they picked it up that next week and played maybe their best football game of the year against a good Oklahoma team. They had won, like, yeah. what, like 20 straight or something? I mean, it was something ridiculous. I mean, they had won a lot of games in a row. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, my hat's off to Baylor. It was a it was a good win, and it was a win by the identity that we've been talking about Baylor all year. Run the football, play good defense, make the opponent quit. And that's yeah. exactly what happened at McLean Stadium. Yep. And I saw uh, something that said that, yeah, of course, Baylor's defense held Oklahoma to, I guess, about 260 total yards. And that's the fewest that Oklahoma has had in a game under Lincoln Riley. So that does yeah. speak a lot of volume. Yeah. And so they, they couldn't run the ball. Oklahoma, the key to Oklahoma has been running the ball, uh, the secret key. Obviously, when you have a quarter, when you have quarterbacks and receivers like that, that's what's kind of going to get the, the a lot of the plaudits. But the thing that's really been the key for them is their ability to run the ball and open up the lanes for those wide receivers and for Caleb Williams. And they could not run the ball at all. Uh, 78 yards on 28 carries for that entire backfield. Kennedy Brooks was completely bottled up. Caleb Williams was running for his life. Um, that's been kind of the their X factor this year is Caleb Williams being a better runner than Spencer Rattler. It did not matter. They absolutely kept him in, in the pocket. And then when he got out of the pocket, they kept, they kept frustrating him. They kept hitting him. And yeah, it, it was it was the game that I didn't expect to see coming off of last week. I expected them to compete very well just because their style, uh, I think, matched up very well. But to come in completely focused and completely just mauling them. Um, the one thing I did notice about the running game that really impressed me was we know this offensive line is great for Baylor. A lot of this was just Abram Smith. And so, like, uh, there was a stat, I believe, that uh, that I like to use called uh, 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 highlight yards. And I was reading that. So, basically, when, a, when let's say a running back gets seven yards, right, it's easy to get seven yards when your offensive line clears, like, five, right? And so, like, highlight yards would give that a two-yard carry for the running back because your offensive line did so much work. Baylor had over 200 highlight yards in this game. It was a lot of Abram Smith making a guy miss, Abram Smith – seeing a Glane, hitting it himself. The offensive line did its job up to a certain point, but it was a lot of, okay, now let's take this for, you know, 28 more yards, whatever yards down the field. And that, that's just a sign of pure dominance. And now Baylor is basically, they just got to wait to see what happens in Bedlam 
you know, they got to take care of business too, but they got to wait to see what happens in Bedlam and they'll be getting one of those teams, either Oklahoma state who they lost to or Oklahoma, who they just beat. We'll see what happens in Bedlam. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I'm trying to figure out, cause I know the second tiebreaker is that 10 point is that point spread, which is why they kicked the field goal at the end uh, to make it 10 or to make it more than 10. So I think that more, I, I don't know. Does that put them in second or kind of waiting to see what happens in Bedlam or yeah, because, you know, in a tiebreaker, if it was just straight up, it would be win, you know, record against opponent. But since it's a right. three-way tiebreaker, then it goes to the points. And I, I just think it speaks to Aranda. Like, Mike Vrabel's like this in the NFL. Right, like, it's like a nobody, weird... Nobody else is thinking about this stuff. And in the middle of all this chaos and excitement and exuberance, Dave Aranda's got point spread totals <laughs> working in his brain and how things need to work. That's next-level coaching, right? Yeah. That's... That's being prepared in a moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think we can say enough uh, about the job he's done. If it wasn't for Jeff Trailer, he'd be clearing away coach of the year in the state of Texas right now. 100%. So, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Oklahoma State beat Baylor by 10. So, right now, Baylor has the highest point total. We'll see what happens in Bedlam again. But Oklahoma is definitely going to be trying to beat uh, – I mean, Oklahoma State's really good, but if there's one team that could blow them out, it probably is Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So we'll see yeah. what happens in that game. Uh, moving on to our last highlight game, the game that Mike Craven was at that drove through the pitch black of Lubbock in West Texas. Texas Tech 41, Iowa State 38, 62-yard field goal from Jonathan <laughs> Garibay. Oh, man, I, yeah, I just, I'd imagine Sonny Cumbie just like, just like taking like seven Red Bulls before he's called that. He's like, yep, just try the 60-yarder. Let's screw it. Mike, you were there. Well, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so after the game, Sonny Cumbie said he looked to his special teams coach and goes, what do do you think the odds are if we kick this? And he goes, less than 50%, but we got to throw our spear. You know, that was, and and so Sonny Cumbie was like, all right, just kick it or whatever. And (laughs) And what was crazy in the press box when he kicked it, it wasn't, I mean, right away, it wasn't a matter of, is this long enough? Yeah, it was direction. Yeah, It was just to see, because it's a bad angle from a press box for field goals. And so it was just, is it straight? Because he kicked the living daylight out of that, (laughs) out of that football or whatever. Um, it was an amazing game. It was a fun game, and, and it was a, a game of swings, right? At, at the beginning, it was like, oh, Texas Tech's going to run away from this. Iowa State did what we thought they may do in between Texas and Oklahoma and kind of sleepwalk into Lubbock with the team that doesn't really have a solidified head coach. And then you could start feeling it kind of change, and it was like, oh, Iowa State's going to win this football game. Texas Tech is out of gas. They got nothing left. And then Donovan Smith just gets them just close enough, and then – 62 because if that goes into overtime all i would put everything in my mm-hmm. bank account on iowa state texas tech yeah. is um but that 62 yard i mean he kicked the crap out of that football and uh yeah it was a, it was a it was a great game and one more point about it being bowl eligible can mean more to some programs than to others mm-hmm. being bowl eligible when you're going to be under a new head coach and new coordinators and, and a new system and all that kind of stuff is invaluable so that win was huge because they got oklahoma state and baylor left who were in real big 12 championship runs it's hard to imagine they were going to get one of those they got wins that means they get those extra practices and that's going to really jump start joey mcguire's efforts into 2022 yeah let me just say i think by coordinators i think you mean offensive and special or defensive and special teams because i think sonny cumbie's got the job i i really like the game he called it yeah, feel it feels it feels that way because because of the, the obviously this win, but the game he called for Donovan Smith, like this is a redshirt freshman going against one of the best defenses in the Big Twelve, and he played nearly flawlessly for what they asked him to do. Right, that pass to Miles Price, I think, was the first touchdown pass, just like on the money, kind of led him into the end zone from midfield, like an effortless throw. Miles um, Price had a big game as well. Eric Azukama, he threw up some uh, passes to him, and it was like, okay, this. This kid's playing with a lot of confidence, and that's from the game that uh, Sonny Cumbie was calling. And so I think just with this win and just how Miles uh, Donovan, Donovan Smith performed, I think Joey McGuire knows he has his offensive coordinator there um, because he has a guy. He, and it's, it's an easy instant buy-in, right? You have the new head coach coming in. The first thing you want to do is win the locker room to your new voice. Having somebody that the guys just played this hard for transition to the new staff, that's an easy win for you. 
Yeah, especially with quarterbacks on campus. And they have a few, right? I yeah, mean, oh, 100%. With the super senior rule and all that kind of stuff, you know, they got, you know, uh, Chuck could come back if he wanted to. Donovan Smith, you know, Baron Morton's on that roster. He mm -hmm. was a big-time recruit coming out of high school. So, you know, Joey McGuire's got guys, and they got a pair of running backs. They got some receivers. We'll see if Azuakama – if he comes back or if he goes to the NFL draft, cause he's, you know, he's a really good football player. So right. uh, for me, it's just, they're going to have to figure out offensive line, defensive line. But again, that bowl eligibility gives them 15, 16, 17 extra practices to kind of evaluate that roster and see who they can ride with and who they can't. And I agree with you on the Sonny Cumbie uh, deal. It, it did feel like when I would ask or talk about those, you know, it just felt like he had the inside track and right. it was going to come down to kind of like, how the team feels about Sonny Cumbie. Mm -hmm. And then you watch that game and you watch that reaction and the win afterwards and stuff. And you're like, okay, this team loves Sonny Cumbie. It's hard to imagine uh, that Joey doesn't keep him there and love it with him. Right. And what was it just, what was the environment like? Cause like, obviously they had a, they've had a huge week. Uh, Joey McGuire's in his little, in his suite watching the game, letting the current staff kind of do its thing. What was the environment there? Like, cause it looked like a program that had needed a jolt and got a little bit of a jolt. Right. It wasn't, uh, you know, sell out rocking night right. game in Lubbock back in the day, but you could definitely feel some energy in there that likely is not there had they just kind of still been under Matt Wells and, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of rolling towards maybe a losing streak to end the year or whatever. Um, you could, you could see smiles on faces and handshakes and happiness and, you know, all that kind of stuff um, because it just, it never felt like Matt Wells was accepted by that that fan base by those donors mm. and stuff. It always felt 50, 50. Sure. And, and this one feels 95, five that people are really bought into this Joey McGuire thing. And, and on Friday night, just coincidentally, once a year at Texas tech, they bring as many letter winners back from the football team as they can. And they have like a little function at Jones stadium Friday night before one of the football games or whatever. It mm. happened to be this Friday night before that Iowa state game. So there was 130 former Texas tech football players there at Jones stadium. And I watched Joey McGuire shake hands every single one of those people, right? It was mm -hmm. like a president shaking hands after he's like elected, you know, president or whatever. Right. Like people are excited. And when you have the old guys who played on the team, they're with you and excited with you. And, you know, he felt like Kevin Bacon, right? Because he had a yeah. separation with every single one of those players, <laughs> right. Either like a coach they knew or a town they grew up in or, you know, a little brother or whatever. Right. So it definitely felt like Texas Tech seems like they have their guy. Whether that results to wins and losses on the field, no idea. But mm -hmm. it does feel like there's an excitement there around the football team that maybe wasn't there earlier this year. Sure. All right, moving on, we can get to our power poll. Uh, geez, we're starting off with some pretty depressing results here to start. Uh, let's go to the bottom, Rice. Uh, 40, uh, Western Kentucky, 42, Rice, 21. Uh, good news is Jake Constantine threw for 380 yards. Uh, bad news is it was four, four interceptions. Oh, and uh, Bailey Zappi had 482 yards and five touchdowns in front of what, what I assume was a very nice Bailey Zappi crowd because he's just from Victoria, which is mm -hmm. about two hours from there. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Uh, Rice, it just seems like Rice is in a rut. And it's really unfortunate that the defense has been figured out when they finally get good quarterback play. <laughs> it's just kind of like the wickedness of the sport is like, oh, cool. The defense is finally, oh, no, never mind. They don't figure it out. And the offense kind of comes along. It's like, oh, cool. They got, they got a quarterback. Uh, never, never mind. You know, four picks is four picks. But if you'd have told me Rice was thrown for 380 yards, I would have been like, hey, awesome. Yeah. Back in <laughs> September. Yeah. Man, it does feel like they've kind of found – a recipe offensively to move the football. Yeah. I mean, they got to worry about getting better in the red zone and turnover margins and those kind of things, but it does feel like they've kind of, they've figured out some players and some playmakers on the outside um, to move the football. This was always a bad matchup for rice because to beat Western Kentucky, you have to be able to score with Western Kentucky. You're just not going to stop that offense. It's too good. It was zero zero at the end of the first quarter and Western Kentucky still scored 42 points, right? Yeah. The over the over still hit. Right. right. So um, that's just a really good football team that's going to score points on you. And Rice is not the football team to get into a shootout. They just can't do it. 21 points was actually a lot. You know, that's more than their season average. And that's with four interceptions. So bad matchup for Rice. Um, and 
next week, you kind of try to salvage the season with one more win. They're at UTEP next week. They could go get a quality road win. And, and at this point, that's kind of all you can really hope for right now for Bloomgren and staff. Yeah. And one more point on Western Kentucky now leading the East at five mm-hmm. and one. Uh, so basically on a cli- if UTSA takes care of business against UAB, um, actually, I don't even know what the tiebreaker is because UAB has a has a loss already. So I don't know. Well, what the... UAB would have the head to head. Okay, so they, they would win because gotcha. UTEP's got two losses now. Gotcha. Okay, so yes, yeah, so if UTSA takes care of business, which I believe they're favored to beat U, uh, UAB, probably the biggest game in program history. We'll see. Uh, we've had about five of those this year for UTSA. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll get a rematch. And I've mentioned this before. Western Kentucky has not lost since they lost to UTSA. So they've been playing like a yeah, they've been playing like a pissed off team. That's like wow, I can't believe we let that game get away. So. I would be looking forward to that rematch if that does indeed end up being the conference title game. Moving on to another depressing game, Georgia Southern 38, Texas State 30. I'm just going to say this game featured two punt blocks returned for a touchdown. Uh, A targeting on Troy Leffridge that blasted, let me see, that uh, I believe that went ended up in a, a late Georgia Southern touchdown. Uh, Texas State also I'm trying to think it was a field goal block that Texas state recovered, fumbled Georgia Southern recovered it and three plays later scored. See, yeah, I don't know. And then on, then after the game, uh, a Texas state player called out the home uh, broadcaster for saying he had a problem with drops because he does. And there we go. That's where we are as a program. So uh, if anybody else has nothing else to say about that one, that's kind of me in a nutshell being frustrated with this game and this program right now. So. I nothing. have nothing to add that's productive. <laughs> nothing, I mean, you, nothing the, that's not going to frustrate you more, right? I was, no, I was going to say, what, so, so what does UTSA alum Mike Craven have to say about this? Yeah, you know, we, we talked about this, right? It's hard. Yeah. I feel like I was on off the Jake Spavadol train. It was like something has to change at Texas State. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what it's almost like with Texas, right? I mean, in, in, on the opposite side of the spectrum, but the same kind of where, is it the coach? Is it not the coach? Is it the culture behind the scenes? Is it the sport given to them by the admin? You know, like what is, you know, the main problem of concern at Texas State? I'm not sure it's Jake Spavadol. I mean, they're still playing hard. They may not be playing well. Mm-hmm. And they definitely may be playing sloppy, but it does seem like they're they're playing hard. So yeah, I don't know. I didn't watch much of that game. Obviously, it was kind of going on at the same time of, don't that, blame of that tech game, but it definitely seems like it was a kind of a comedy of errors for Texas State. And those are games you need to win, right? You're, you know, you're, you got to win those games. The other team doesn't even have a head coach right now. Like you got to, you got to win that game. And they just, they didn't get outplayed. They just beat themselves. Yep. Basically, that's what Jake Spavadol said after the game. So uh, moving on to the power poll, we mentioned Texas lost to Kansas. Just in case you forgot, Texas did lose to Kansas in football. Uh, North Texas, let's get some interesting results. North Texas, 20 over UTEP, 17. Uh, Let's stick with North Texas because UTEP is right now ahead of the power poll. Uh, But that will obviously, that probably won't change. But still, 20, let's stick with North Texas. Austin 240 through the air. That's something I didn't. Uh, that no picks, one touchdown. That's something I didn't expect to happen. Um, it was UNT flashing offense. It flashed late, but it flashed offense. I don't know. It, it was uh, three seven to three at halftime, but you know they ended up scoring fourteen in the third quarter. Austinani made a huge throw late to put them, uh, I believe, in field goal range. I forgot where uh, in the fourth quarter was that. Yep. Yeah, that huge throw. I forgot who he completed it to. Um, but yeah, Mallory, you were there. What was that like? Huge win for UNT. That's still the program's still fighting and scrapping for Seth Luttrell. Mm-hmm. I felt like there, just the whole entire game. I think UT UNT just looked like a team that wanted to win. You know, mm-hmm. and it was homecoming. There was a big crowd. They wanted to show out. You know, um, and they're on that three game winning streak right now. So it looked like a team that wanted to win and really just did all of the right things, like you mentioned, to pull out the win, you know, and our defense, I think, also did look great. I mean, they had three sacks, too, as Mm -hmm. well. So, I mean, just both sides of the ball got it done. And it was just a really all around a great and solid win for this program that really needed this win, too. And Seth Luttrell for Seth Luttrell's sake as well. 
if we're just talking North Texas side, what I was impressed one is like Mallory said, I thought the defense played really well. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a good, they allowed a couple of big plays, but for the most part, they, they played really good sound defense and kept that offense in the game. Cause the offense did kind of take a little while to get going. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead of being down 10, nothing, once it happened, they were still, they were still right there in that game. And then credit to Austin Ani and that offense for kind of holding steady, you know, it felt mm-hmm. like, you know, North Texas goes up 17, seven and it's like, okay, they're going to run away with this. UTEP comes back into it at 17, 17. It's like, okay, here we go. You know, UTEP is the team that's had more success this year. Are they going to just like ride this to a victory? And Austin Ani with a big time throw, North Texas makes the field goal. They win the football game. That was one that could have slipped, slipped away late. And instead they kind of, you know, uh, rose to the occasion there. And after that Marshall game, you couldn't you couldn't have convinced me that this team wasn't just ready mm-hmm. to just be done with this season and just go. If you, I think if you would have polled everyone in the locker room, they would have been like, "Yeah, I'm good with not playing the remainder of this year." Right. And instead of instead of that being true, even in that Liberty loss, they played really oh, well yeah. and really hard. Um, and then now they've won three straight in a row. Now bowl eligibility is still out there. They should be able to win next week pretty easily. Sets up you know, kind of the last game of the year at home against a UTSA team that may be undefeated and that will create some buzz and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, North Texas went from blown out at home against Marshall in an embarrassing fashion. It was 42-7 and a half to a team that could spoil UTSA season and reach bowl eligibility. And those are big deals. I'm a big believer of you judge a head coach by how hard his team is playing for him. If that is true, and Seth Luttrell has bought himself, in my opinion, another year if this continues because they are playing really hard for me. Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. I think that when you look at – you mentioned UTSA, and we'll get to them in a bit, a team that's looking a little bit more gettable now, right? And so if you have – you know, let's say UT, U, 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 UTSA maybe loses to UAB or something, and so that kind of puts their conference title, you know, uh, hopes on the rocks a little bit, all of a sudden UNT is like, hey – what we got, you know, they're coming to Apogee. Let's see if we can, if we can get to bowl eligibility, knock them out of the, the West a little bit, free up the space for UAB. I don't know. Right. That's, but that's going to be something because those guys definitely would love to beat UTSA. Mm-hmm. Even if UTSA wins, they can also true. Win. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Cause they would lock up the West and, you know, you got the conference championship that week afterwards or whatever. And it's not like UTSA needs to stay undefeated to reach the playoffs or anything sure. like that. So either way you can catch a UTSA, team coming off a loss that's disappointed and it feels like they lost their season or a UTSA that's looking forward to the conference championship game because it's all locked down. So if they, you know, if they take care of business against FIU next week and they're five and six, that absolutely is a winnable game in in Denton against Uh UTSA. Yeah. All right. Moving on in the power poll, we mentioned Texas Tech beating Iowa State. Jonathan Garibay should never have to pay for drinks in Lubbock again. Uh, UTEP. All right, let's get to the other side of this game. Um, Mike Craven, you had a good piece about UTEP, just kind of where they went from as a program, you know, being kind of downtrodden to now being bowl eligible, you know, how much, how frustrating is it? Do you think is as a program to have this high legitimate high of being bowl eligible for the first time in a while? And you're, you're kind of in kind of a rut right now, right? You've lost how many three straight now mm-hmm. um, you got rice coming to town and, you know, you should beat rice, but as we're seeing rice is finding some things out on offense, who knows? And then you got a tough UAB team. Like how frustrating is this to kind of parse the two? Do you think like their success versus kind of their, their form right now? I think if you're inside the program, it's all disappointment. You feel like you were a team that should have been able to go on the road and beat that North Texas team. You probably feel like you should have been able to go on the road and won that FIU game earlier in the season. Yeah. And so um, I think they, they kind of feel like they've let a couple get away that they shouldn't have. Uh, but if you take a step out and you just look at where they've come from 0-12 in 2017 – one law, one win the next year, one win the year after that, then the COVID year where El Paso got hit as hard as anywhere else and they had to play all on the road. They've gone through a lot. And to get to six games was uh, success enough, I think, for most of us on the outside to be like, hey, this thing is going in the right direction. Right. That gives no solace to the players, right? Sure. Players want to win football games and they're going to feel like they got themselves right back into that game just to lose it there at the end. And that's going to hurt. But Rice is, you know, coming there. You should be, you know, you should be favored at home against Rice. 
I do think UTEP needs a seventh win to actually get a bowl invite. Six wins, probably not going to do it for UTEP. A seventh win, probably more likely to get them into a bowl game. Their trouble for me, in my opinion, it's been true all year, is it's the boomer bust offense. They're either either gaining 80 yards or they're gaining zero. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to build any consistency uh, that way. North Texas did a good job of stopping the big play. I'd imagine that's Rice's focus again. They need to figure out a way to get into third and three. You know, to get into second and five, and they just don't do that enough. And until that consistency comes around, they're going to have to win football games just kind of on a hope and a prayer late. Yeah, I think that one of the things that really frustrates me is I like Gavin Hardison as a quarterback. I think he's a solid quarterback. I don't know if he's a guy you can build the offense around, right? And they have to, the problem is they have talented receivers that you want to get the ball to, so they end up trying to. I don't know if the they should be more of a run focused team and they try to be, but they're just not, they're not that good at it. They're not, they have a deep running back stable when healthy, but they're just, they haven't been good at it. I'm looking at their leading rushers uh, the past three games on this, on this losing streak, 72 yards, 83 yards, 85 yards. And like you're forcing Gavin Hardison to kind of have to throw a lot more than I think he, what he should, because when they're, when the offense is booming, it's, he is hitting those deep plays and he is hitting these, you know, Justin, uh, Justin Garrett, Jacob Cowing and make, having them uh, uh, really produce. The problem is it's just not that type of uh, quarterback to where you want him throwing 40 times a game. And cause you mentioned it third and longs, like he's not exactly the precision thrower. He's the big arm. And so I think that's where the, the disconnect yeah. is coming. Good. And the offensive line isn't good enough for that kind of stuff. I mean, North Texas was getting home when they were at third and six and, and longer. And so, and they're falling behind early. You know, those right. games you, you, you've listed or whatever, they've been in a hole. They were in a mm-hmm. hole out in Florida. They were in a hole against UTSA. They were down 10 points to North Texas in the second half. They've kind of had to come out of their shell and throw it a little bit more. That's made the offensive line be uh, vulnerable to the pass rush. And it's kind of showed some holes and Hardison's ability to be to be efficient. That's what they mm-hmm. lack offensively is efficiency. Yep. Moving on to TCU. Good God, their defense still sucks. Uh, 63, Oklahoma State 63, TCU 17. Uh, Oklahoma State rushes for almost 450 yards? What? I, I can we can talk about Chandler Morris, you know, having a mediocre game, whatever. It's still he's still only his second, really second game coming in. Sure, the offense didn't get going. I mean, uh, what Kendra Miller and Zach Evans were out. Like, I didn't expect this offense to really produce, especially against that defense of Oklahoma State that's been really good all year. But 63 points? <laughs> that's nuts. Like, yeah, they, allowed, they allowed eight rushing touchdowns. Yeah, eight. and Barry, Barry yeah. Sanders was being honored there, too. Which yeah, so they, funny. that's why they ran the ball eight so Eight rushing <laughs> touchdowns, four different players. I mean, they showed out for him. Well, for sure. they need to check those uniforms. Maybe Barry Sanders was in there <laughs> running for a few of them. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State ran the ball 62 times and averaged 7.2 yards a carry. I mean, they, that's they, insulting. They, that's insulting. They, I mean, at that point, you're lining up and going, run right, run right. You know, like you're telling them what you're right. doing, and they still can't stop it. Um, and we saw this when SMU beat TCU. We've seen this a few times this year where the the opposing team is just basically saying, look, we're just going to run it between the tackles until you prove that you can stop it. And they can't do it. They need defensive tackles. They need better linebacker play. And uh, they were able to, to, I mean, they got beat up. I mean, that was an embarrassing game. That's kind of a soul searching game. And you can kind of see it coming, right? You know, like, you know, Gary Patterson's leaves and you kind of rally the groups and you're like, Hey, it's us against the world. We don't have a head coach. You come out and you play, uh, this great game. Chandler Morris has this huge game. A letdown was probably inevitable. It was mm-hmm. probably probably going to happen. But in the way it happened was just a, a pretty brutal thing that the new head coach is going to have. That's going to have to be job one, right? Fixing that run defense is going to have to be job one. Yep. I mean, nothing more to say about that. I won't uh, punish TCU fans any more than that. They saw the game. Uh, moving on to the power poll, SMU 55, UCF 28. Uh, Ulysses Bentley is back. Mm-hmm. Uh, 14 carries, 97 yards, had a 56-yard run. Trace Siggers, 11 carries, 93 yards, had a 33-yard run. Look what happens when Tanner Mordecai has help from the running game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not a coincidence that Mordecai is, you know, throwing for 377 yards, three touchdowns, not making as many, you know, bad throws, not getting sacked as often. Like, 
Ulysses Bentley is the guy that yeah. makes that offense go. I know Mordecai is going to get the headlines because he's a quarterback and he's putting on un- uh, ungodly numbers. The wide receivers are great. Um, they made some really good plays again on Saturday. Uh, but Trey Siggers as your number two running back is tremendous. To kind mm-hmm. of be the hammer, he is great in that role. When he was asked to be the guy, not as good because he's not as explosive. You put Bentley in there, and all of a sudden, everything's opened up. The passing game's opened up. The offensive line's job's easier. Bentley's even catching passes out of the backfield and going for 30-plus yards. Um, the kid's special. He's good, and he gives a dimension to that team that otherwise they don't have. Uh, the secondary was better. I don't know if that was as much about the opponent um, as anything else, but the secondary looked a little bit better. It was a game SMU needed to have, and for a while, it kind of looked up in the air. You know, For sure. a while, it was like, oh, man. This is gonna. This could be a real collapse here, uh, but they were able to turn around and get that, that game. And I, I think it just kind of proved how important Bentley's is, and how much we've talked about it for the last three or four weeks. Yep. Well, the key stat for me, uh, SMU on third downs, thirteen of twenty, they did not get off the field, and they were aggressive. And yeah, to shake off those two losses, man. If the Mustangs are are back, I mean, we talk about how they kind of fall towards the end of the year, but if you know, if they're getting healthy, if they're looking good, this good, you know, let's shake that narrative off a little bit. We'll see what happens towards the end of the year. Uh, moving on, we mentioned Baylor pulling off the win over Oklahoma. Let's get to Houston. Let's see. Let me bring up the score. 37 to 8 over Temple. Houston's defense, back to being Houston's defense. Uh, that's what we kind of come to expect from this team. Uh, yeah, what did you see from this one? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was, yeah, the defense, you could, you knew that they were getting challenged in practice. It had yeah. been, it had not been up to their standard the previous two weeks. Even in the SMU loss, they didn't play particularly, or SMU win, I'm sorry, they didn't mm-hmm. play uh, particularly well, um, especially for four quarters. So you know that Coach Belk and that defense of staff was challenging them all week. They came out and they played well. Clayton Toon didn't have to have a huge game, mm-hmm. uh, but he didn't turn the ball over again. You know, he just keeps putting in performances where he's not making mistakes, and that's what we needed to see from him. And then Alton McCall school uh, breaks the school record for scoring touchdowns for a freshman with his 14th, um, really kind of making that team balanced, right? And if you can't, if you can't, as an offense, if you can't allow a defense to pick what you're doing for you, right? If, if the defense goes, okay, we're going to take around the way the run game and Clayton Toon can throw for 400 yards, or they go, we're not going to let you throw for 400 yards, and Nathaniel Dale's not going to have this big game, and then you can have a freshman running back you know, have a big game that, that way. It's just kind of pick your poison. They clinched mm-hmm. their berth into the AAC championship game. So what a turnaround for Dana Holgerson yeah. and that team. You know, week one, they lose to Tech, and we're mm-hmm. like, eh, you know, what is it going to be this year? SMU, SMU, my, my clothes are done. SMU, <laughs> you know, SMU gets off to the hot start, and they're the real headline going to that game. And, and if you think about that week leading into SMU-Houston and, like, to where the conversation is now, you know, mm-hmm. Houston completely lapped the Mustangs, and they're the ones with all the momentum. Yep, and they get a big game against Memphis this week. So that this weekend, so actually it's a Friday kick. Interesting. So Friday. that'll be fun on, on ESPN too. So national television audience, uh, huge another huge opportunity to face a Memphis team that's kind of finding it finally starting to get its groove back mm-hmm. to being one of the top mid majors. Uh, yeah, like you said, Dana Holgerson, hats off, man. I'll, I'll gladly eat this crow with the way they're playing. Moving on, uh, geez, Texas A&M, uh, old, number 15, Ole Miss, 29, A&M, 19. Oh, man, uh, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with uh, Jimbo not running the ball and uh, only giving Devon a chain 12 carries despite having 110 yards on the ground, nearly averaging 10 yards a carry? Uh, you want to get to Zach Calzada throwing 40 times? Do you want to get to Matt Corral torching the defense for basically the entire first half? Uh, we could we could start with, I don't know, where do you want to pick pick your poison, Mike? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the game plan, right? I yeah. mean, it, it looked like if you just look at the play calling, it looked like the Mississippi State, Arkansas, Texas A&M team and not the team that beat uh you know, Mississippi State, or not the team to beat uh, Alabama and yeah. Auburn, right? Yeah. And so uh, Zach Calzada is a fine quarterback. He's, he's not, a, it's not like he's awful or anything, but he's not somebody you need throwing the ball 40 times. And you saw it at the end there, those two big picks in the fourth quarter are the difference yep. in the game. AM was getting back into it with its running game. The offensive line was starting to take over. A chain speed was starting to be the difference. And instead of just sticking with it and trusting that and staying patient, 
They went to Calzada, you know, twice. One of them you could argue was the wide receiver's fault, uh, but still it's just responsibility. You don't need to put in that player's hands. And so I think if you look at the three losses this year for A&M, you can point to the game plan and that the play calling let them down in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that where Jimbo made a miss, not only with the game plan, but he seems to be wedded to this 50, 50 backfield thing. And instead of like letting the hot hand cook, right? Like Devon, you know, Isaiah Spiller just didn't have it, right? 15 carries, 41 yards. That's okay. He's not going to have it every game. You have an explosive running back who's a little bit faster, who was giving them more, who was giving Ole Miss more frustration. Devon Chain's averaging almost 10 yards a carry. Just that's the game plan, right? It should be, you know, maybe you, sp maybe you uh, split Spiller out wide, get him in some, get him involved in the passing game a little bit to help out Zach Calzada, but Devonta chain was cooking and they refused whether it was because they were dropping back with Zach Calzada or giving the ball or making them, you know, divide the carries. I don't know. Those are really, there was a really big frustration. You mentioned that pick. I believe it was only 15 to 14 at the time uh, when uh, NM was deep in all uh, deep in their own territory. Zach Calzada overshoots. I think it was Demond Demas uh, fumbles out of his hands and then right into Ole Miss, they go up. Uh, I believe it, I think they end up scoring it's, at that point, it's 22-13, and then it just kind of gets out of hand. And uh, he throws a pick six, I believe, the next play um, or the next drive. And like you said, that's the game. And it's frustrating because you kind of – you saw where this the team was going. You saw where, like, where, they, where their bread was butter. It was running the ball, playing good defense. And, you know, I criticize the defense very lightly. Uh, the first couple of drives, Matt Corral looked great. Defense played excellent for most of the second half. Um, but that first drive did set the tempo. And I will say, I think that set up Jimbo's game plan for the rest of the game. Because, you know, the defense, the uh, Ole Miss offense comes out cooking, right? They have their rhythm plays. They have their uh, 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 scripted sequences. And the, so they're driving down the field. And so all of a sudden, AM's on the back foot. And I think, you know, they're down 10 nothing at the end of the first quarter. And I think at that point, Jimbo's like, oh, we got we to gotta catch up, right? And so, like, all of a sudden, I don't want to say he lost faith in his defense, but I think he overreacted to those scripted plays in the first half to where Matt Corral and uh, Jerry Neely at running back were getting to that defense and were getting yards and were moving the ball. I think he, I think he overreacted and kind of said, geez, we're not going to be able to stop these guys, or at least as often as we're used to doing ironically they did end up slowing them down but at that point the game plan completely shifted and they're throwing the ball trying to keep up and that's just not you played old Miss's game right in their hands so and it, it kind of goes back to what he did against Mississippi State and Arkansas as well yeah. where it felt like they were calling plays as if they were down 17 points in the second half or whatever right right those games were within reach this game was within reach you don't have to abandon the running game and uh Isaiah Spiller wasn't having a great start to it, but you, you, you just keep doing it and you keep mm -hmm. doing it and you keep doing it and it opens things up. So yeah, a disappointing performance for Texas A&M, a curious game plan. And Jimbo Fisher knows more about calling football plays than I oh, will yeah. ever even fathom to think about knowing or whatever, right. but it is curious to see the games in which they're, they're winning and winning convincingly. The, the Spiller a chain duo is getting 35 to 40 carries and Calzada's, attempts are in the twenties and then the games where they're losing those attempts are getting into the high thirties, early forties, and those rushing attempts are getting lower and lower. That can't be a coincidence. Mm -hmm. Yep. So uh, moving on to our final team, by the way, uh, as we were recording the, or I guess about an hour ago when we, I just haven't looked AP poll dropped 16 Texas A&M drops your number 15 UTSA Roadrunners pull out 27-17 over Southern Miss. Mike Craven, when's the last time? Did you ever think you would hear number 15 UTSA, number 16 Texas A&M, number 17 Houston? No, if it wasn't for those darn Baylor Bears, we'd be the highest ranked team in the state right now. That's what I was assuming was going to happen this week. I was in the Texas Tech press box trying to watch that game and also simultaneously not trying to have a panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> while that UTSA game was on my computer playing kind of lower behind me or whatever. Right. Like Ugh. Southern Miss doesn't even have a quarterback, right? They ran, they ran like a high school. Back. They ran like a, yeah. yeah, they ran a high school offense for the entire game. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was like a, a 3A team that has like one really good player and it's like, we're just snapping it to him. We're not it's, even going to win. It's, uh, it's uh, Bremond with snapping. Rashad Paul. Right, right. Snap and hope. We're just going to snap and hope. And, you know, they were making, they were getting yards on UTSA and then UTSA's offense was just imploding. They just were not playing well. Even their field goal kickers missing kicks. He doesn't normally miss. And so, you know, you look down, you know, in the first half, it's cute, right? It's like, well, <laughs> right. you know, like, uh, to a game you know uab's up next week this is southern miss ha ah, ah, you know they're still going to win by 20 plus points no big deal and then the fourth quarter is approaching is like oh my gosh we're losing <laughs> to southern miss you know and, and until the final play of the third quarter utsa was losing that football game yep. uh, and then you know in the fourth quarter they wake up they score 10 straight they win the game and you know style points don't really matter when you're playing in conference usa so no big deal but an alarming game um, I think uh, I wanted to be UTSA Homer guy. I'm going to say that it was good to get it out of the way that week, right? Uh-huh. You're gonna if you're gonna lay an egg against a team that has no quarterback, like literally and figuratively, and uh, that just can't score enough to punish you. Because had they played really any other team on their schedule that week, they lose that football game. Uh-huh. Like they they play they 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 would have been down by too many points to come back against, and so they got lucky that the cheese game came against Southern Miss. Yeah. Uh, by the way, for those of you listening, when Mike Craven said they did not have – literally they did not – Frank Gore Jr., yes, that Frank Gore Jr., is a running back, started at quarterback, was taken out for Antavius Willis, who was a defensive back. Those were the two guys they put at quarterback. I believe that was uh, somebody throughout the stat. I believe it was like the ninth player or something they've had at quarterback. Like something ridiculous, like something insanely ridiculous like that, who's taking a snap. I'm trying to think. I'm looking at their stats. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players have thrown a pass for you for uh, Southern Miss this year. And again, this is a team that wants to throw the ball. They threw the ball seven times total between those two quarterbacks for 52 yards. Uh, one of them was a pick. And yeah, they ran the ball 47 times for 137 yards because they basically just said, we have the wildcat. That's our offense for this game. And, you know, again, it could be, you could to, to throw a little bit of slack UTSA's way, how do you game plan for that? Right, you can't game plan for like uh, you. Uh, they're just gonna snap it to Frank Gore, and they're just gonna have a read option kind of the whole game. And it's like that's kind of weird. Of course, USM's way less talented, so you would have figured they would have blown them out. But to their favor, that's a weird wrinkle that you're just like, oh, they're just gonna do this the whole game. Jeff Trailer probably had flashbacks to Gilmer when he's blowing out some other team, and they just throw it like you mentioned. They throw the one dude that's good, and he's like, ah, crap. We we don't have we don't have to defend power for forty, you know, for for sixty minutes. <laughs> so, well, the ahead. defense yeah. wasn't my concern. It was the, it was the offense, you know, like Fair. yeah, no, they could yeah, they couldn't move the ball. That offensive line looked bad, and they, they yeah. have a couple of injuries, and they're going to have to figure that out for next week because that performance isn't going to get it done. They're not going to win their division, much less the conference, if they block like that next week. So uh, maybe an eye open. Maybe it's something they needed. You know, everybody's patting them on the back. Everybody's telling them how great they are. Everybody's rooting for them and tweeting about Meep Meep and all this kind yep. of stuff. Uh, maybe this is what they needed. And so we'll see next week against UAB if that was just kind of a – a one a one game letdown, or if that's more of kind of a crack in the armor that we're starting to see. Yep, we will see indeed. But as for now, number fifteen and number fifteen, in the AP poll ahead of Texas A&M, ahead of Houston, just four spots behind Baylor at number eleven, and still the highest ranked team in our power poll, which is the ranking everybody should be caring about the most. So there you go. <laughs> that's the only one that matters. <laughs> that's the only one that matters. Come on now. Uh, so like I said, there's our show for the week. Uh, in case everybody forgot, Texas did lose to Kansas. I need to repeat that just because that is something that needs repeating and refreshing. That should probably be the headline of this episode. If I'm not being, if I'm being honest, uh, we will be back. Thank you guys. We'll be back. Uh, I always forget to do this. Be sure to like subscribe, all that stuff. Follow us at DCTFCFB. Follow uh, everybody on here. I believe Mike Craven. You're just Mike Craven at Twitter, I believe. Craven, Craven Mike. like James Craven Bob. Mike. There you go. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> Mallory, what is your Twitter? Plug it's that. just at Mallory Hartley. I just, oh, you're, that's okay. it. There you go. That was really easy. Um, I'm at, to know, uh, good, you know, good on you for not having competition for your name. How nice <laughs> is that? I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm at Ishmael R. Johnson. Had to throw my middle name in there to get my <laughs> to get my account uh, good to go. Um, follow us, of course, at DCTF on Twitter. 
and keep up with all of our stuff, especially Mike's stuff at texasfootball.com. Like I said, you can like, comment, subscribe on Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get your podcast. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. we'll have to double check about all the platforms, but if you're weird, you like Stitcher and all that stuff. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. We might be on there. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. We'll be back Wednesday for the preview show where we'll be previewing another hellish week of games. I'm sure. Cause I haven't even looked at the slate, but I just assume based on how the season's going, that's probably how it's going to be. So we'll talk to you guys then.